0: Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Gary in over the line on the left
1: wing side. Malenstein moving in. Pants rebound. They score. Off the left wing side, Malenstein shot in training. The play was Gersic and the Amherst can't get a shot away.
4: And there's the horn as the Bears will pull this one out the season comes to a close for the Rochester Americans. Across,
0: course, by the stopped under I think Claire got a piece of
5: that puck. Got by Got the air by
4: Stone! He scores! They defeat the Florida Panthers 5-2. to Over the Burns. Burns, top of the slot, Colorado zone, shooting scores! Six, two, Buffalo! Tipping it back over to Fraser, now to Smith. Smith, peeking his way, scores! The Great Dane! And folks, it's been a long time coming for the Buffalo Bandits. And for the first time
3: in 15 years, Buffalo wins the championship. Let's go, Bandits. Five titles now for this storied National Lacrosse League franchise, and what a celebration it was for all at Keybank Center and beyond on Saturday night. Terrific weekend for the Bandits, terrific season for them and their fan base. And it is so great to be along with you for Sabres Live. Yeah, we're mixing in a little box lacrosse, of course, because it's Championship Monday here in the queen city marty um i know your oldest was in attendance at the game uh which turned out to be maybe the most stress-free sporting event we have witnessed especially in that arena for a very long time as despite having narrow leads of 2-1 after one and 4-2 after two this game became a no-doubter in the second half, and the Bandits pulled away to a 13-4 to victory. And, man, did it feel good. It almost was, not to say that it wasn't super exciting in the building, but there was almost a sense of relief when yes. people were walking out. It wasn't the craziness of Sabre overtime victories in Game 6 against Carolina in 2006. It was just relief respect joy pride you name it and that is a unique feeling in these parts
1: and i'll say this um congratulations to the bandits their players their front office coaches everybody that's part of this unbelievable uh product that they put on and off the turf um it's absolutely fun um, and if you were watching it on the CW23 or on ESPN Plus or on TSN or on any w- ways you watched it, the amount of time they made a comment about how this experience, this fan experience in Banditland is, like, is unlike any others around the National Lacrosse League, right? And that has been uh, a reason why the players love to play for the Bandits and love to play in front of the fans in Buffalo. And why, why they, they like, you walk into the building and you can feel the orange, like, from everybody, right? It's not just a, a few people here and there. It's everybody, black and orange everywhere. So it's amazing. Dane Smith, again, unbelievable game, MVP. Josh Byrne returning after missing the first two. Uh, And his goal at the end of the first quarter, like, I'll play to the whistle, play to the buzzer. Like, I, so I was watching it on my phone at the time. And when the the shot was taken and a ball bounced in the air, everybody was speaking as though the the quarter was over. And then there's a goal. you're like, what happened? And the green light is on behind the goal. So you're thinking, well, I probably didn't go in at the right time. But Josh Byrne's impact, obviously, was significant um, that he jumped up to get that ball and fired it with 0.3 seconds left in the in the quarter to get the 2-1 lead, which was about the most stressful part of the game. The 1-1 first quarter, then you get 2-1, and then you get your game going. Um, that was, to me, the, the if there was a turning point, if there was a Saber's life turning point of the game, the Josh Byrne goal is it.
3: Dayoga opened the scoring with a stunner as he cut through traffic. You mentioned Burns goal, which did in fact give them that last lead that they would need to nurse home the entirety of the way. Mm -hmm. They never trailed in the contest. The interesting another interesting aspect of that burn goal was it actually deflected in off the Colorado defender, which is not a normal thing in lacrosse because you just you usually Have some sort of an open lane to shoot, which is why you shoot ultimately. Yes, there are deflections, but that one really gave the netminder no chance as uh, Ward, as as time was winding down. But Byrne returns and scores four goals. The fact that Matt Vince was not the MVP on the heels of a night where he allowed the fewest goals in a championship game only speaks to the greatness of Dane Smith and the fact that no one has ever scored more points in an NLL playoff run, nor in a championship series. All he had was nine in the final game, you know, and it was like he was just adding on at the end just to, Hey, we still need a little more. We need a little more. And, but it ultimately became an incredible team effort. Max Adler's goal five seconds off the face off after they had scored, I think was the the biggest release of relief in the crowd, because at that point it made it 12 to four and people felt like, okay, I think we finally have this, even though there's seven minutes or six minutes left in the game, whatever it was. So.
1: And we had Ian McKay on the show last week, right? There were a lot Before. of friends in
3: the show that were celebrating at Key we're Bank. Celebrating, Let me
1: tell you. absolutely. But I was so, again, like mesmerized with the play of Matt Vince and Nat oh. because of his positioning and how he used his body. But the Colorado goaltender and how he challenged, um, or I should say how he challenged the, sh- the, 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 the ball carrier and he was so out in the crease. And I remember Ian McKay talking about it and saying, hey, our scouting report is he's a different type of goaltender and he's tough to beat um because of how aggressive he is so i thought that was uh one of the 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 coolest thing like when i'm watching and i'm like oh look at the different style and we talked to ian about this uh previous so yeah it was uh it was cool it's cool that they have a championship it's cool to see on social media them celebrating after Cool that the fans were hanging out i ended up calling my son after the game, maybe a half hour after, and I could hear the chants, and he's still in the arena. Yeah. He's buying a championship T-shirt, and uh, they were out there. People were waiting in line for them. Um, yeah, it's – it's congratulations. It is fun to, uh, to see this here in Buffalo.
3: And the party will continue, and we'll give you those details later on in the show when, in many ways, although he is not the general manager – But in many ways, the architect of all of this, from a Bandit's perspective, joins us at the bottom of the hour. And um, that is Scott Loeffler, of course. And I'll tell you what, immense pride. And he'll share more details on everything. And, boy, it was really nice to hear John Gertler have that opportunity to call after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of consecutive games behind the mic for this Bandit's franchise. And it's funny, you know, as a broadcaster um especially in a game like lacrosse it's almost always high drama right down to the last second it's a very odd feeling when you're calling a (laughs) blowout game in a championship you know because like we know (laughs) we've known for 10 minutes this is going to happen you know like you gotta keep the
1: energy off and you gotta keep people engaged and all that so it's that's a challenge i'll say this and another thing i wanted to say before i forget Um, So the bandits tweet out an Instagram post like champions, right? Mm -hmm. And I decide to read through the comments because the bandits fans are going like nuts and all that. And I'll say this. I don't know how many people in Colorado are watching us right now or listening Mm -hmm. to us or mammoths fans, but very classy responses by Colorado mammoths fans on Mm -hmm. the bandits thing saying, Hey, you guys played an amazing game. You were better than us. Uh, you know, congrats to bandit land. Like they, there was no negative comments. Like it's one of those games where, okay, you guys had us beat us fair and square. Like it was, so I I took note of that because in a world where everybody's wanting to be angry on social media and whatnot, even if you lose at the highest level, when you follow a team, you can still lose in a graceful way. And I think that that was the case for not only the Mammoth, but their fan base as well.
3: Yeah, the only disappointment I sensed throughout the night was the number of people that were um, sad that you were nowhere near my presence. So your absence was felt, and uh, it was that was on many a nights in Rochester this year too. But you and I were there on Friday yes. for what was the end of their season, unfortunately, in a narrow one nothing defeat at the hands of the Hershey Bears, who are now still awaiting their opponent in the Calder Cup final, which will begin later this week. Currently, they are poised to face Coachella Valley as the Firebirds have a 3-2 series lead on Milwaukee. There was but one goal, and it was off the pads of Subban and a rebound put back, and uh, there it was for uh, Sam Gersich, who has not played the entirety of the games for the Bears, but earned his keep in this series and scored his first and only of the playoffs so far. And Marty... We will have all week and obviously all summer to dissect even further everything about the Amherst, um, where they're at, what their season ultimately means to the Sabres, as far as graduation of prospects. My big picture analysis and or question that would come out of this series, which is a 4-2 loss to Hunter Shepard and the Bears. And by the way, Shepard, only twice in these playoffs have he and the Bears allowed more than two goals in a game. Yeah. Yeah. Both were against the Amherst and both times he responded with a shutout, but he didn't get the shutout entirely. In my opinion, the big picture question is Hershey's ability to play old style hockey. Is this potentially still a problem for the game moving forward that defense can win the day over a better offensive team? Multiple I, times, like we saw in this series.
1: Yeah, you know, Look, I, I, it depends on what level you're talking about. In the, in the American League, sometimes, depending on roster constructions and veteran players and younger players, you may have to adjust and who you're playing against, right? I felt like it wasn't so much what Hershey did defensively as much as I really think the Amherst ran out of energy, ran out of juice. Like I, They did have some chances, like Mason Yops on a the breakaway. They had some good looks. Um, but I felt like they did not have the same jump that I saw them have in game five, that I saw them have in game one, and really in game four as well, when they were up to nothing up until 10 minutes left in the game. So um, but a lot of it also comes to this is the American League. And so they played Wednesday night in Hershey and they traveled by bus up until 4 a.m. They get in. Like it takes a lot out of players at that level in the NHL you're in your charter or you're staying overnight and flying out the next day because you Mm -hmm. have the, you know, the luxury of flying to locations depending and there's all these sleep studies and all of that 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 makes it where you're at your best. You have your best of energy. I just felt like the Amherst ran out of juice, ran out of energy in game six, which if they had their full, you know, gas tank to 100%, -hmm. I still don't think that, Hershey had an answer they they would limit the chances but yeah, the Amherst were able to to score and score plenty as you just mentioned twice they were able to get over the two goal threshold that Hershey was limiting things at so I think the Amherst full energy would have been okay um and this turned out to be a low energy and for both teams like it's a one nothing yeah. game and I think both teams were were sluggish in that department
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, the Amherst did have the edge in shots in the game 24 to 19. The, the, if you could ever narrow down a sporting event to one instance, which you can't, but the, uh, if not turning point, disappointment mark was the failed five-on-three for almost 90 seconds late in the second period. That, based on the hallmark of the Amherst being offense and power play success in the last round, they were being afforded a glorious opportunity to get the game even heading into period number three. Or maybe even take the lead, because I felt like the turning point of their series against Syracuse in the opening round was a 4-4 game with five minutes to go in the third period. They scored twice in a five-on-three. It won eight to five and they ended up going off on a seven game win streak. So yeah. I was sitting there going, okay, this is a golden, obviously opportunity. And it went by the board, the, all the key players in this season, incredible season for the Amherst. Uh, by the way, obviously the hockey season continues. The golden Knights are up one game to none. Game two is tonight and we will dive into the NHL and obviously take all your input on Amherst, NHL bandits, always today, every day at Sabres live on Twitter, every Critical key person in this uh, run for the Amherst addressed the media over the course of the weekend through locker cleanout and, you know, that terribly difficult time of saying goodbye, right? Yeah. Nobody wanted this to end. The reality was there. It was there in game four, 10 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Could have tied the series. It slipped away. They got reignited with a game five win, game six. One goal deficit, big deal, right? You're going to find a way, you're going to find a way, you're going to find a way. They didn't find a way. Season comes to a bit of an abrupt end. We have endless sound that we can share throughout the course of this week on individual players, but the person most responsible, and this is, I would say, universally agreed upon for the team having the success that it's had, is head coach Seth Appert. Yes. General manager of the Amherst. assistant GM of the Buffalo Sabres is Jason Carmanos and he addressed the incredibly important topic of coaching at this level on the weekend.
2: You know I can't say it enough how uh, how impressed uh, we are you know as an organization with the job that that all the coaches have done uh, with this group here um, you know in particular the last couple seasons but um, Seth, in particular, as a head coach, uh, I've been around a lot of head coaches at this point in my career. He does; he is easily the best at balancing what you just uh, referred to there—that that you know that delicate balance between development and winning. Um, you know, the the pushing uh, pushing of the right buttons on a daily basis. Um, you know, and and dealing with each individual. Uh, and how each individual responds and figuring out ways to, to motivate um, not only you know the group as a whole, but individuals within that group. Um, the ability of the coaching staff and Seth in particular to deal with, you know, 30 plus players around, you know, and and paying special attention to every one of them. Um, I, I, it's a it's a really special environment. Um, that I certainly can't take credit for at all in any way. The coaches are here on the ground every day, building that relationship with the players from day one. Um, It's just like the last question that Mike answered about Savoy coming in. There's a trust level there between the players and the coaches in particular um, that they understand, even though maybe they might be a little frustrated at times, if they're out of the lineup or if they're maybe not getting as much ice time, there's a trust level that if they put in the work and they do what they're told and improve and take steps to get better each day, uh, that the coaches are going to reward them. And, and that's the process we, we really want throughout the organization. We want, we want the guys that want to be here, uh, that want to be a part of our future going forward, that come here each day with the intention to get better. Um, and the coaches make that happen and they've just done a fantastic job. I mean, just nothing short of a fantastic job. The the growth of certain individuals from start to finish is remarkable. So it's uh, it's really exciting for us, uh, you know, in the organization to watch uh, to watch it unfold. And it's uh, you know, it's just been a two years in a row of the same thing, where virtually every player on the roster has gotten better. Just just amazing stuff. So it's really really encouraging.
3: Love that. Could listen yes. to that answer endlessly. <laughs> it's everything you want to feel about your players who either are on entry-level contracts with hopes still of going to the NHL or who are on different types of contracts but still playing an enormous role in development. I think of next year already, Marty, the likelihood of Cederkvist, Rosean, Noichev, maybe Kulik, uh, Nadeau, Kisikov, Kozak, We don't know because they need contracts like Weisbach, Murray, Rusek, you know, but you could potentially have Malone coming back. That would help Byro, who remains under contract, although his challenge would be clearing waivers next year. Um, Mersh is under contract. He's Mm -hmm. the captain of all of this, you know, and you've got a defense corps now that you can realistically look at right now. And obviously there's going to be endless change and we'll talk about it down the road, but Ryan Johnson is now under contract. Yes. Ethan proud. The veteran is still under contract. Zach Metza, who just got better and better and better in his first play. He's under, he's under contract. Mm. Novikov recent signing as a draft pick out of the KHL is under contract. You've got Jandrick only got to play one game after he came out of college is under contract. That's a handful of guys right there. This is exciting.
1: Like hey, you can you forget already... the position, you forget a position, and we don't know. But that could be could be yeah. Devin Levi there. That could be anybody. We don't yeah. know. Like how this is all going to shape up? Yeah. Um, I think this. Look, I love the answer, Jason Carmano saying everybody got better the last two years, year mm-hmm. after year. So because the AHL's role in an organization is development. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. That's your number one priority is development. But there's a winning aspect to it. So not only did they get better they got a step further and you're, they're still looking to get steps ahead right so that's how you build development and you build a winning attitude and winning culture
3: and it's a lot of names isn't it to contemplate that are likely going to be in place like that's that's what's impressive here and then you think okay how do they fill in the blanks but the two teams arguably that filled in their personal needs the best this year whether before the season or in season are going head-to-head right now. Yes. They are the Panthers. They are the Golden Knights. They obviously both, like any team at this stage, requires a lot of good fortune for things to ultimately put them here. The Panthers found that out in round one. Somehow, someway, they escaped a 3-1 series deficit against the best regular season team ever, and now they are staring down a 1-0 deficit in the Stanley Cup final to which their coach responded, just bleeping breathe. Yeah. So, the whole
1: media I, room to relax. <laughs> He's like, You guys have been here for too long now, too anxious. Everybody takes a breather, relax. But it is, I I, I don't know if it's ironic the right word, but uh, maybe a coincidence that the Vegas Golden Knights' first appearance in the Stanley Cup final had the Braden Holby paddle save on Alex Stuck, right? And then Aiden Hill, who is Aiden Hill? People are going to say, Well, if you're one, we one tree hill, baby, let's go. Yeah, one tree hill. Made a very similar paddle save a minute into the second period on Nick Cousins.
3: Almost like it uh, the game was one one,
1: and you know Florida on game one. Oh, sorry, froze a little bit. That's my freeze. My one freeze per, per episode. episode. Um, Florida went, won game one against Toronto and it go, went up three nothing. Won game one against Carolina, went up three nothing, and now they had a chance to go up two one in the game. And Nick Cousins has a wide open four by six. And it hits Aiden Hill's paddle, and he made the save. And obviously, they ended up, uh, you know, Florida ended up losing the game. And that's how did they
3: not cash in on the rebound after the paddle? Oh, everybody was kind of, yeah, but the Vegas defender who got the stick in was unbelievable. Like that might
1: be even better than the actual save. Well, no, sorry, my voice is a
3: little gone from Pride Parade and (laughs) Bandits win.
1: (laughs) No, I'm going to say this Um, if the first save doesn't happen, Nothing after matters, right? So, but this is one heck of a play to find cousins in the slot, and he stopped, but the puck was just not setting down for him to be able to put it back. Um, but that was the, you know, it's, I I did a little thing on on, on TSN about this, and you now saves that could change a series, right? Yeah, and yeah. we talked about Holby's save on Alex Stuck in uh, twenty eighteen. Remember <laughs> Sergei Bobrovsky on Kucherov in twenty nineteen.
3: Pominville saving himself himself in- <laughs> yes that was a
1: double save but that was in the playoffs I know thanks so, for the reminder but you you so you have like Bobrovsky at the other ends and oh, I did that too in game five against Boston when Marchand came in on a breakaway with two seconds left and Bobrovsky's done it against uh, Kucherov in Tampa Bay the year they swept them yeah. um, and then I finished it with the Patrick won 93, right? Because Mm -hmm. in game four, 2-2 late in the third, he made the save on Sandstorm and gave him the wink. I'm like, Aiden Hill's not winking at anybody. He doesn't have the luxury to wink at anybody. But uh, yeah, so it was kind of fun to go down, you know, memory lane and all these game-saving moments, right, by goaltenders like the one by Hill.
3: Yeah, it's pretty great. Petrangelo, obviously, oh. star-worthy just for that follow-up save. White Cloud, though, was the game's number one star in-house, followed by yep. Stone and Hill, yet it was another multi-point game for Eichel. It's a 5-2 win, ultimately, in what was an even-up third period, so clearly the score is probably not indicative of what the actual game was like. And there was... Was there fake toughness,
1: Marty? It was fake toughness. I thought of you, Duffer, and it was funny because... So in game... Four of the Boston uh, Florida it a game series? three wasn't it a game no, three it when they're game... punking
3: them at the end like
1: maybe it's game three or game four one of those two Boston oh no you're was right winning. game four
3: to take the yeah yeah I think it took right. a three yeah. one lead yeah.
1: and then Kachuk is fake tough and going after Lena Solmark and all of that right so in game one uh, halfway in the first period you know Sam Bennett is over Aiden Hill and then. Aiden Hill pushed Sam Bennett, and Nick Cousins came in. Hey, Nick Cousins probably shouldn't have done that because, you know, hockey gods made Aiden Hill save that one early in the second. But he pushed Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill came back, gave him a couple of shots. Kachuk was in there. Actually, Radko Goudas got his foot And Skate tangled up on the takedown and had to miss a big Mm -hmm. part of the game. If Radko Goudas is not 100%, that affects the way that Florida plays with their group of six defensemen. So there was some fake toughness, but Vegas was very smart of not getting involved as much in the fake toughness by Florida. Actually, Vegas ended up on the power play after Nick Cousins was the only one getting chased for roughing on Aiden Hill.
3: I need producer Jeff to check the chat function here just to make sure we're uh, good to go here. But we were talking about Amherst and we will obviously get back to NHL Stanley Cup final discussion here as the, um you know, the rest of the show continues. But we would be remiss if in yes. our very first segment here on Sabres Live to start the week, we didn't tip the cap this, by the way, brand new. Thank you, DJ, over at New Era. Cap that I picked up today that is technically not a bandit's cap, but boy, does it look like a bandit's cap.
1: So it's B for Buffalo, right? But it is yeah. orange and it looks great.
3: Or B for bandits, or B for Biran. For or... Brian. Yeah. Uh, you had to mention Brian because that's my favorite goalie equipment, is the Brian's gear. But yes.
1: It's also how about Sebi Komarov's? Also, I'm... your first name. <laughs> yeah.
3: No. But nobody ever calls me that. Um, <laughs> Stevy uh, Komarov, amazing. Yes. Unexpected development. Marty, he scores the game-winning goal for Quebec in the Memorial Cup. And this recently signed Sabre Blue Liner, who, unfortunately, like Matt Savoy, won't be eligible to play in the AHL next year. Um, he does walk away with a Memorial Cup title under the guidance of Patrick Waugh. And thanks to his multi-point game, over Seattle in the closer.
1: Well, the game-winning goal ended up being the one-nothing goal, right? Uh, Quebec wins at five-nothing, but on a defensive zone face-off. Sevi Komarov just decides to join the rush and make it a two-on-one. He got a nice pass. as a right-hand shot coming down the right wing. He lets it go over the glove. Nice celebration after that. Very emotional moment. Perfect I mean, camera
3: I, framing moment, right? Like perfect. Just
1: right, right into right it. Right there. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I was a part of the Memorial Cup in 97 with the Hall Olympics, mm-hmm. and we won. I didn't play much, but I know the energy, the emotions. Did you play so more than
3: the, your world juniors?
1: No, I played less. I played eight seconds in the World Juniors. I didn't play any. I looked over to Claude Julien. Hey, can I go in? And Claude was like, nah. We have we have Christian Bronsard in that. And the guy was the uh, MVP, so he played well. But anyway, uh, great on Sevi Komarov and the way that he played, getting the championship. Great on Patrick Roy. Look, he's been coaching juniors for years now. Went to Colorado, came back to coach the Quebec Ramparts and the team mm-hmm. that he owns part of it, too. Um, Mm -hmm. That was his last junior game. He said he will not coach again next year. The door is opening now to potentially come back in the NHL, although chairs are being filled up really quickly, and we do have some breaking news when it matters to a team we don't care about. But anyway, Patrick Waugh, congratulations, Quebec. Simon Gagne, my former teammate with Philly, is on the bench as an assistant coach, too. Congrats Mm -hmm. to him. But uh, it was uh, another one of those. Not a lot of emotions in the game because it was 5 nothing.
3: Ten seconds. Deliver the breaking news.
1: Breaking news. The Anaheim Ducks have hired Greg Cronin as their yes. head coach. Cronin was the Colorado Eagles AHL head coach and then he was also an assistant with the Leafs uh, with other teams. But um, a name that we did not hear in the coach carousel it, it came out of nowhere that Col- the Anaheim would go and get Greg Cronin as their head coach.
3: All right. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this week's opening segment brought to you by Spalding Lake Wi-Fi. We're back after this to talk more bandits and their championship. Their fifth in franchise history. Scotty Lawler. have the break, stay with us.
1: We
4: really need new phones.
1: T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New
0: iPhone 15s? Over
1: here. Only at T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on us, and
3: four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with
0: eligible trade-in when you switch.
4: the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: We're back with more of Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close
3: what an amazing sports weekend and what a weekend to just be uh connected with the community and boy does it feel great to welcome this guest on Scott Loeffler, who has been overseeing so many aspects of this team that people you know wouldn't necessarily think of on a day-to-day basis but when you are you know senior director of all lacrosse operations for a franchise that is always labeled as the model franchise uh you know you're doing something right and Scotty congratulations it's been basically 15 years right for you and that followed the bandits fourth championship so congratulations on franchise ring number five
5: no thanks thanks for the congratulations thanks for you know all the support you guys have given us all all throughout the year and and, and prior to that but yeah 15 years um my, my first year was 2009 the year after they won the last championship so here i am you know i come in as a as a young guy, and I'm like, we're going to do this every year, and uh, and here we are, 15 years later, we finally get our first one. Uh, you know, we had our shot a few times here, but uh, it, it it feels good, believe me. It, it feels 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 special.
1: So, so I understand, like as a player, you played a game. It doesn't matter if it's 15 to one or two to two. Like you're playing the game, right? But how was it for you watching it? Like it's one one, then late goal in the first quarter, and the 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 weird ups and downs of this game that ended up being a bit of a blowout in the end but how was your nervous levels throughout the game
5: i mean going into the game like obviously there's nothing i can do right my my job's been done all i did my job throughout the week and now it's up to the players so it, it, it's it's different when you have zero control over what happens on the field and uh certainly nervous is is an understatement of of an emotion but you know as the game kept cre- creeping on and we were you know we we're making that run and we we're getting up more and more it started to set in and it was a little bit Easier to control the emotions and to kind of prepare myself for for, for what was to happen once that clock hit zero. But at that, uh, yeah, I mean, you can never prepare for it. But it was it was certainly helpful that we you know had that commanding league going into the uh, the port.
1: There's obviously plans, right? Like when it comes to game press and you guys, like who's going to go down? And so, at what moment could you start preparing for? Like, yes, we're winning this. Is it five minutes left? Is it two? Is it ten? Like, what was the? Whew, okay, because I know. I feel that way, like to watching Sabres games, or when Duffer and I are like, okay, like we can start preparing for the post game show and know that this result will stay. Like, but when it's a tight game, you can never do that.
5: Yeah, yeah. Usually, so usually my routine is for the games. Like, I usually go down to towards the bench um, and start to get ready for for post game stuff with about five minutes left. I usually go down right about that that last media timeout and. I, you know, with 10 minutes left, you can kind of see the writing on the wall. And I was, I was too excited. I couldn't, I couldn't sit up and watch anymore. I had to get down there and be around, you know, the, all the, you know, the, the non-dressed players and the staff, like we were in that little hallway. And it was just, it was a special moment. And, you know, you got the fans going crazy and they're all yelling at you. And it's, it was, yeah, you know, I, I went down a little earlier, but it was, it was worth it. And, you know, I had my family with me, so it was, uh, it was pretty special. So.
3: When you're with a group this long, and yes, the group changes over the course of time, but in essence, it's it feels the same year in, year out. Can you share some personal interactions you may have had before the game ended, but more specifically after the game ended with people that you've known the longest, players that you've known the longest, and what you saw and felt through those people?
5: Yeah, I mean... uh Like I said, I had my family with me and I was, I was, you know, I wanted to celebrate with them, but the first person I went and grabbed and then hugged was, was Chugger. You know, him and I have, uh, I mean, I I think I talked to him more than I talked to my wife, to be honest with you. Um, You know, we're on the phone quite a bit every single day. And I, I know what he does day in and day out. And, and, you know, obviously him and I work hand in hand on a lot of things and like the game wasn't even over yet. And I was already on the bench, giving him a hug. And, you know, I said, we did it, man. And, you know, that was pretty emotional and, you know you know you give jt a hug he's been here since day one of the organization so you know that was special and um you know you get to hug a guy like matt vince who this is why he came to buffalo he came to win a championship with his you know he considers it his hometown team because he grew up watching us and obviously he didn't play for us until he signed for us as a free agent but like you know he he came up and gave me a hug and he's like thank you i can't believe this and you know and it's funny. Everyone's like, can you believe this? It's like, yeah, I, I can believe it because like, this is what we've been trying to do and what we've been, you know, trying to accomplish for years. And we had the pieces. It just never worked out. And, you know, we did it, but, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of emotions. Uh, you know, people are asking, Did you are you going to keep your suit on? I'm like, yeah, I'm keeping my suit. Like, this isn't coming off that you guys can spray anything you want on me. You can get sweaty, whatever, like it's <laughs> staying on. So I'm not. I'm not changing for anything. This is, you know, you know. I, hopefully, I can not vouch for that. <laughs> I got a hug
3: from Scotty at the Cobblestone after. So I can vouch for that suit being a little disarray by then. So yeah. It's okay, it dry probably- cleans
1: nicely. I've been there. Dry cleans nicely. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, I hate the saying. Well, you have to lose before you can win. Like you have to learn through losing before you can win. But obviously, last year ended up on the wrong end against Colorado. So. What lesson did you and putting this team together this year learn about what happened last year to put it in effect this year?
5: Yeah. You know, I'll even go back to the the other three times, you know, the 2016 and 2019. And then of course last year, like losing, like we always felt like there was, you know, one, something that we, like one little thing that we needed to do differently that would, that would make the change. And we did that. Like we, every year we, we found something and we made that change going along. And then this year, um, you know, we did a few different things, but we, we got the right players in. Chugger, you know, saw a need for, for some guys that we needed it's some, some more grit on the, on the front door. And, and we did that. Um, but I, I really think like the, like what happened to us last year, like, you know, being the favorites and, and, you know, going in and, and having the 19,000 people in game three behind us. And, mm-hmm. and we really let them down. I think, I think all year the guys were on a mission and it was, it was really, it, it came down to the, the whole mental aspect with these guys. They, they knew what had to be done and they, they were laser focused on it. And like, I can tell you last year when we, you know, all the playoff games we won, there's, you know, celebration in the locker room this year, you know, every, every playoff game we won, it was like, okay, let's get ready for the next one. It was, they, like I said, super laser focused and, you know, really came down to the me- mental preparation for these guys. And, and they knew that, you know, the city needed it, the organization needed it and let's go get it done and nothing's going to stop us. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot, a lot of adjustments, you know, tinker here and there, but it, it really came down to the mental aspect.
3: Well, I thought it was pretty um, special that not only was the joy uh, in the moment individually undeniable for your captain, Steve Priolo, but to have that wider lens, if you will, at that moment and, you know, acknowledge the Pagulas and specifically Kim and, you know, just kind of pull it all together. Scott, I can tell you that that was kind of the prevailing, you know, it's it's all community-based because most people love the bills and the sabers and the bandits at a similar level so whether it was before the game or after the game the one thing i kept hearing was "God, I help the bandits get this done because we want them to be the first car in the train here like get yeah. this and then get the bills going and then my goodness what's this going to be like if the sabers win too and so you're you've done it like you you guys have now kind of set the bar organizationally and and i wanted to make sure you had an opportunity here to to take that and then you know, invite people to, to join in the overall celebration here, which is coming up on the 15th.
5: Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Steve, Steve says, what do I say? Like when they give me the trophy, what do I say? And I'm like, well, you know, you got to thank everyone that, that you really want to thank. And and I I do know, obviously, you know, Kim and the Pagouas are going through some times right now that, um, you know, are, aren't very easy, but, you know, she's been on her mind from since day one. And, you know, even going back to last year, you know, with the shooting in, in, in Buffalo and, there's a lot of reasons that, that the guys wanted to play and win. And, and, and obviously Kim and Terry were one of them. And, um, you know, it's, you don't really know what to say on the moment. So he's like, what do I say? What do I say? So, I, you know, I told him, and, you know, I did tell the guys in the locker room after the game, I'm like, you know, obviously the bills and the Sabres get a lot of love in this town. And so do we, but you know, there's one thing they can never take away from us. And, you know, we have the first PSE championship, so to speak. And, you know, the guys enjoyed that. Um, but, you know, that the Bills and the Sabres are there. And I had, I had a really good conversation with Sean McDermott during the game. And he's just like, this is the, the, the atmosphere. that this, He's like, this is crazy. And I said, can you imagine what this would be like with 80,000 people at Bills Stadium celebrating? Like, you know what I mean? He's just, he just shook his head and he's like, "Like he didn't know what to say. So, it, you know, it's it's a pretty special moment. And, you know, hopefully we get a lot of fans that come out on June 15th at the arena to, to help us celebrate. Because, you know, I, I want to say like Saturday night, you know, the guys got to celebrate as a team. But on June 15th, we're going to celebrate with the fans because that that's what this is all for. And, um, you know, five o'clock on Thursday, June 15th, in front of the arena, we're going to have a big plaza rally, uh, and then followed by, uh, the Bisons game. And, and then ironically, that that game was already on the calendar a long time ago, that that was going to be bandits night and we're just going to lump them together and, you know, and, and, and make it, make a night of it. So, um, it should be fun. should be a, a good time. And hopefully we see everyone there
1: what about the, you talked about Sean McDermott and I know that Don Granado and Kevin Adams and Alex stuck and Caliposo were at the game and I actually went to the regular season game at home against the Toronto rock. And I, I think that was the regular season game or maybe, yeah, it was. And, uh, um, at one point, they showed Alex stuck on the uh, jumbotron, chugging a beer, and it got the, the crowd going. And you guys went on a run right after that. So I remember texting Tucky saying, "Hey, good job getting them going." But for you to see that interaction between the three organizations, like how does that change the way you see things, and how does that make the Bandits in this, you know, place in Buffalo different than the rest of the National Lacrosse League?
5: I mean, it, it, it really is a community, like when when you hear, you know, teams say we're a community-based team, like, I don't think it's ever more true than Buffalo. Like, like the, the teams rally around each other, you know, the, the players support each other. Um, it's just, it's, it, it really is a family atmosphere and, you know, that goes back to, to Terry and Kim really. I mean, they, they built this family culture and, you know, all, all three teams integrate together and it's, it's just a wild scene. And like, you, you know, you said Alex was drinking a beer and I think, um, um, there's a couple of Bills players that won the playoff games and they did the same thing. And it was like, the crowd just goes nuts. And it's, it could just, it just shows like how close knit we are. And, you know, we, we get some of the Bills guys that come down after some games and, and and hang out with the players in the locker room. And it's just like, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you'd see that in any other, you know, any other situation like, like we have with, you know, all the entities owned by the same, same group. It's just, like I said, it's, it's, it's so true. When you say like Buffalo is a community based, based team. It It, it really is.
3: I can't wait for June 15th. That's going to be an awful (laughs) lot of fun going from the plaza and just walking up, uh, you know, walking up Washington. And what a special night it'll be for a ton of people. Not to mention, (laughs) I'm sure the trophy will have, uh, as Seth Appert would say, some lubrication in it (laughs) once again on the party night Uh, as it makes its way to uh, Salem Field. So, Scotty, congratulations. Folks, save the date. It's June the 15th. It's a Thursday night. It's 5 p.m. in the plaza. Man, we've waited a long time to talk like this, Scotty. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Can't wait to uh, reconnect on Thursday the 15th. Folks, we'll be back to wrap up Sabres Live after this. Stay with us.
0: Back with more of Sabers Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Let's go,
3: bandits! Hey, what a great night it was for Swenny. I I messaged him the next day. He's like, dude, that's the easiest game I've ever had to work.
1: <laughs> but it again, was like amazing. He, even on TV, like his impact on the game and the energy in the building is just—you yeah. could sense it through uh. the TV. Absolutely like, incredible. It's one, nothing bandits.
3: Mm-hmm. Mammoths
1: have the ball and it's like defense.
3: Yeah, twh, yeah.
1: Defense. Like, it's like, you could hear it. You could feel it.
3: And you know what else he, I mean, everything he does is so much a part of bandit land, yeah. but especially on nights like this, when the score becomes lopsided, but it was only able to become lopsided because of how good Matt Vince was. Yeah his ability to get the focus right on plays and players that matter and often not always the same way but like to bring it back to Matt Vince the way he did throughout the course of that first half was just again it's unique it's sweaty. we're blessed to have him and I'm so glad that he and Gertz and Scotty Loeffler and Steve Dietrich the GM and John Tavares and Dane Smith and Josh Byrne and every single guy uh, and gal involved in that organization um were able to to pull it out Now there are other things quickly we want to get to here before yes. the end of the show. Um, words matter and I thought the words were um unnecessary, let's say in the Cole Caulfield headline that I read today. Whopper of an extension uh I could have lived with proper. Proper and reasonable and expected extension. Because if you do any ounce of research on Cole Caulfield and see the contracts done around him, you knew that based on the fact that this kid was likely scoring close to 50 goals this year before he had injury, that this is the exact number you would hope to sign him to an extension at. I could have seen higher.
1: Yeah, eight years times 7.85 is what the Habs get Cole Caulfield at. Internal cap a little bit because Nick Suzuki is at 7.85. So it comes in 200,000 over the length of the deal less than Nick Suzuki. So it's like really 25,000 a year less than Nick Suzuki. So internal cap. But Cole Caulfield last season was fifth in the NHL in goals per 60. The four ahead of him, David Pasternak, Connor McDavid, Tage Thompson, Braden Point. Right. So you look at what the Sabres did with Tage Thompson and what Montreal is doing with Cole Caulfield now is getting ahead of it, mm-hmm. getting a valued contract for eight years, just like Kevin Adams did with Tage.
3: Will the Blue Jackets get full value out of Mike Babcock if and when he actually becomes their official head coach?
1: I know this is a little bit controversial, but I really like the hire. I really like the hire for the Columbus Blue Jackets and Mike Babcock back in the NHL. Um, Look, he did the thing with Mitch Marner. I've seen and heard way worse. So come back in the league.
3: Congrats to the Amerks on an amazing season. Congrats to the Bandits, folks. Another week is underway. We'll see you again tomorrow.